Talk Airport Live coming to you on 12 Ounce Sports. Cody Jansen with you here Wednesday, May 13th. Hope everyone's having a good week. Still enjoying quarantine, whatever day we're on. I'm, I'm sure it's two months plus without real sports or hockey in general. We'll go with that. We are starting to get a few sports back slowly but surely. End of the day. I'll take what I can get right now, watching whatever I can. And hey, if you want to place a little bit of money down, you got to go to mybookie.ag. They're going to hook you up through our friends at 12 Ounce Sports. They're legit, the real deal. Mybookie.ag. Use promo code 12OZSports. Yes, there's tons of stuff still there that you can uh, get in on the action on. It's all good. There's so much, so much. I mean, there's soccer going on right now, esports, baseball. Yeah, it's all foreign stuff right now. But hey, I mean, the MLB is going to be coming back. I, I strongly believe the NHL will hand out the Stanley Cup this season. From everything I've been hearing, everyone I've been talking to, the general consensus is, is they're going to find a way to get this season done and then... If need be, they'll push back next season. They're not too worried about that. They're more worried about getting this season done. We are going to start off with the show. Some thoughts. The NHL regular season, it's dead. I, I don't know what else they want or what else they expect from it. But the NHL's regular season, it's going to go. It's, it's pointless at this point. I don't like the 24-team playoff format either. I think that's dumb. Just in, in general, these teams are not, they're not fully invested. And if you're competing for a draft lottery, you're not going to be fully on board for playing out the regular season, which is the position that most teams are in. All right, then we'll get to our what's nutrition and performance question of the day. Asked yesterday, got a good amount of answers. Did enjoy that. Favorite goalie masks of all time. I'll get into my top three. Of course, we'll get your answers. Hit us up anytime. We're on Twitter at WorldHockeyRPT on Facebook as well. World Hockey Report there. Of course, Thanks to our friends over at 12 Ounce Sports hooking us up. Yes, we are streaming everywhere. It feels like everywhere, at least. On so many different platforms now. Hard to keep track. But, of course, they're hooking us up. I mean, we're coming to you live through Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, the website, 120zsportsradio.com slash live. All of that and more. That's where you're getting your content for today. Coming up at 920 we got former Washington Capitals forward, Steve Seftel. That's going to be a good one. Got his book. Hey, got to give a shout out to that. It's unbelievable. Still working my way through it. Got it sitting beside me here. Those watching. Yeah, great book we got going on right there. We're going to talk a little bit about that. About his career as well. He had an interesting one. Spent some time playing in the minors in Baltimore. So that's pretty cool as well. I'm sure he's got some great stories. Really looking forward to that one at 9.20 with Steve. Then at 9.40, barring any changes, Ian Moran. That's going to be a great one as well. Former Pittsburgh Penguin. Played almost 500 NHL games, plus another 66 in the playoffs, I think. That's not bad. Former Pittsburgh Penguin, Bruin, Duck. Got his cup of coffee in Anaheim. No, it's going to be an awesome one as well. Tough guy. Tough as nails. When he played. Looking forward to that as well. It's We'll Talk Here Point Live coming to you on 12-ounce sports. Already I said we're going to get to it off the hop. And it, it's something that really every single time I hear about it, it's not like I get frustrated or I'm like, why would you even want to play it out? But at this point, the NHL regular season is dead. There's no point in playing it. It's it's over. It's a lost cause. The teams that are in the, the draft lottery race, per se, they don't want to play. I, I don't know why Stevie I, or Iserman says that he thinks it's going to be good or that people actually want to play it out. No, you want to lose games. You want to get the best pick. You're not making playoffs. It doesn't matter. Bringing your guys back for two months of training just to play 8 to 10 games, whatever. 
stupid. It's clueless. I mean, you're risking injury. You're there. There's so many risks involved that it's not worth it at all. And if you're going to be one of those teams or people, fans, players that are going to complain because you're out of the playoff picture in game 70, you didn't do your job. You had 70 games to put yourself in a playoff spot. I really don't care if your team was close to making the playoffs. You know, were you heating up at the end of the season? No, I, I don't care at all. Boom, who go cry. So your team battled through injuries? Whatever. That's part of the regular season. That's why you play it. Put yourself in a playoff position from day one. Don't go, oh yeah, hypothetically we were heating up. We were the hottest team in the last 10 games. I really don't care. I don't care if you think your team was about to peak at the right time. Put yourself in a playoff position. And that's going to do the talking. So do I agree with them taking the top four teams out of each division just to hand out the Stanley Cup? No. No, I don't. Top eight should be in, no matter what. And I mean, I, I've said it before, I think the, the NCAA March Madness bracket is the way to go for playoff standards. Expanding it to 24 doesn't make sense. I haven't heard a lo logical excuse for that. And I don't think I ever will. I don't think that you could convince me that 24 teams is better than 16. Or that 8 is better than 16. I don't agree with that because then the whole division thing makes zero sense. It'll be interesting to see, though. Just taking the division champs? Well, then, why during the regular season in previous years would you do anything different? It makes no sense to shorten it. Especially if you're going to be playing series? No. Empty ranks anyways. Might as well finish it out. All or nothing, honestly, I'd rather see them play seven-game series in empty rinks than go to some, you know, 24-team format, couple of three-game series, couple of five. No, no. Finish it out. Give out the cup. I don't care if you're going to start next season in December. I really don't. We're in January. No one's going to be offended if you have to push back the start of next season just to give out the cup this year. I don't see teams playing in front of fans before October. So, you know, no chance. September, do I see full stadiums in effect? I, I struggle to see it. You know, the leagues that are saying, oh yeah, we're still planning for an October start date. That's questionable. I mean, it's still a long ways away, but to, to have 20,000 people in a rink at that time, still seems a little bit crazy. Not that, you know, places can't handle it. I think up at Edmonton, we've got, what, nine cases of coronavirus, COVID, whatever. So it's not like I think people are at a huge risk. I'm not sure people are ready to, to go back to the way that things were. I think extra measures need to be in place. I mean, when you think about how many people you come in contact with at something like a sporting event, a concert, the, the safety standards just aren't there. So it'll be interesting to see. Saw a funny picture, though, that Chinese baseball league. They got the fans social distancing. They're like six seats apart or something. That's hilarious. I, I wish I could find that one. Uh, I think 12-ounce sports has actually tweeted it out. That's going to be... Like, I, I don't know, are they actually going to be able to enforce it? Can you actually enforce keeping people away? Like, I get it with their actual seats. Like, you can really minimize the capacity by that. What about the bathroom? What about the concession lines? I don't think you can fully enforce it. Maybe you can take some steps. Seems like a nightmare, though, for Ticketmaster. I gotta think about that. But end of the day, my thoughts, the regular season's dead. Move on. Move past it. It's... So sorry. It's gone. Posted a funny video yesterday. You gotta go check that one out if you missed it. The Sergei Kostitsyn not even back check? Hilarious. So it's a two-on-one for the Oilers. They're coming down. And Kostitsyn just bails. <laughs> 
That is so classic Kostitz and it hurts. I mean, that is, I mean, he's Belarusian, not Russian. But that's like that Eastern Europe, just the, the give a damn meter should be up here. It's down to here. It's a tough look, a very tough look. It's a hilarious video, though. I could watch that all day. Alrighty, we're going to get to our what's nutrition and performance question of the day, question of the week, whatever you want to call it. Favorite goalie masks. Seeing this one going around, actually, I felt bad. Someone tweeted it out like a day before. I tweeted it out the day after. Didn't even see it until, uh, you know, I posted it. I'm like, oh, feel bad for stealing it. Don't even remember who I stole it from, though, kind of whatever still posting that question got a bunch of responses as well we're gonna go through those danny duncan said he always loved any version of cujo's masks those are classic i i think cujo was one who was a little bit out of his shell in a certain extent so he, he did have some great masks some good designs good goalie pads too everything a lot of answers for gary cheevers and i like the design i like the creativity i think the stitches are cool i love the look of the old school masks even though those seem unbelievably dangerous i don't know how they ever thought that that was the best idea whatever technology back then it's cool it's very simple but it's also like that simple where I don't know if the creativity is what I really like about it. That was from Davis here. Uh, Chris says, Brian Hayward, the shark's mask. That's cool. That's really cool. I mean, the shark mouth over the cage. Definitely a classic. Not even sure what type of helmet that is, but I mean, the shark mouth, the black cage. That all works together. Chris, that's a great answer. Um, Chance Webster. Chainsaw mask, your mask. Another funny one. It's interesting. Rudy Friesen as well goes Gary Cheevers. Porter says Cheevers as well. Duncan Louie posted a mask, and it's it's kind of a villain one. I wish you guys could see it. You can go check it up on Twitter, World Hockey Report. I actually don't even know what it's from. I think it's a movie. Tagged a guy named Reggie in it. So he said it's from a movie. Oh, I see it now. Hashtag Youngblood. I, I don't actually remember that mask from the movie. It's a pretty cool mask. Do I remember it? No. Not at all. Jason LaBarbera. This one comes from Aladdin. Very cool. Phoenix Coyotes one back in the day. Love the, love the secondary designs and the paint job. That kind of, you know, you've got your team logos, but now all of a sudden there's a story behind it. So if you got athletes, if you've got a city, skyline, whatever, memorial, whatever you've got in there, that's what makes the masks a little extra creative. Got Gump Worsley, Eddie the Eagle, and Spooky from Richard. That's a very creepy picture. Or whatever gump wars that's a pretty cool one though i'll give him that some very cool answers in there max got the patrick wall one i i really enjoy that because just how he had the two habs logos at the front i thought that was creative when everyone was kind of using the sides like the big part of the goalie masks for the design wall went out of his way and did that got another marcus kenner as well from Rauno. I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce his last name right here. Vainakainen. <laughs> I love Kenner's. That's my 1B. His finish mask was just so clean and crisp. I love the different shades of blue, teal in there. The Siomi jersey just worked perfect. But my number one's got to be Timmy Thomas. I mean, his Bruins masks, top notch all the time. Great design. He had that weird helmet too, so like the cage was oversized. I forget, it might have been like Sport Mask or someone who made it. I don't know. Very cool, though. Was a big Tim Thomas fan for that. Quickly, we'll catch you up on some hockey news, of course. The Brandon Leipzig thing. He's waived. His contract's terminated. Probably going to the KHL. I would have to assume that. 
Adam was the one making uh, dinner there or cooking. I don't know what he ended up cooking. Bunch of funny suggestions, though. A lot of funny suggestions on there. Maybe I'll have to catch up with him next week, see what he made, see how the date went. Null hockey, great. There's so many new junior hockey teams. They Like one pops up a week now. So I decided, you know what? Might as well start ranking them. Let's start the Danbury Hattricks because they just like completely copied a federal hockey league team. For the Null, I'm assuming it's the same owners. The name, it's a five and a half. I mean like 5.5, not creative at all. The logo, kind of cute, but yet again, they stole it. So it's a 3.1 and the colors... I, I just, it's a 2.7. Very disappointing to see them all copying, copying a federal hockey league team. And then the Kansas City Scouts are back. Not the NHL of the 70s, but then all once again. I mean, great name. That's an 8.2 right there. The logo, kind of boring. I, I, I said, I hope this isn't the final logo, so I go to 4.1. Colors are 7.1 out of 10. Kind of like Florida, but you got the gold, you got the navy blue, and you got the red. Didn't like that. The NHL also thinking of making changes, according to Ryan Rashong. They talked to the medical expert. Some of the stuff that they were talking about, full face shields being mandatory, no fighting allowed, no scrums after the whistles, um, coaches to social distance on the bench and wearing face masks, wingers spread out further on the face-off circles, no spitting on the ice or bench. A lot of thoughts on that one. A lot of thoughts on that one. Derek O'Brien says these are just recommendations. Doesn't mean they're mandatory. We get that. We get that. But these are just... They seem very far-fetched for changes. So it's definitely interesting there. A lot of people are agreeing with it, though. I don't know. I just can't see every single NHLer wearing a full face mask. That just doesn't completely make sense to me. But who knows? All right, let's go to commercial. We've got Steve Saftel coming up next. We're going to talk about his book and the former Washington Capitol forward joining World Hockey Report Live right after this. It's World Hockey Report Live coming to you on 12-ounce sports. Cody Jansen with you here May 13th, 922 local time up in the Great White North. Happy to be joined now. The author of Shattered Ice, Steve Saftel. Steve, how's it going? Pretty good under the conditions we're all living through right now. It's certainly <laughs> something most of us well, have not experienced in our lifetime. So certainly an adjustment, but uh, we're doing our best here. Uh, in, I'm in Waterloo, Ontario now. So things are starting to slowly get back to normal within the province, but it's going to be a process. Oh, for sure. And I mean, everyone's stuck inside, so you might as well go uh, read a book. I would definitely. I mean... Reading Shattered Ice right now, it's great. Obviously, that's your book about your life, your career, your hockey story. So, I mean, we might as well jump right into it. What was it like? I mean, when did you decide that, hey, I want to write a book about my my hockey career, my life? Like, when was that decision when you were like, this is actually something I really want to do? Well, something I should tell you, Cody, right away is... uh... I talked about writing a book for a few years, but what really was the motivating factor was that in January of 2018, I had what I would call a complete mental breakdown. I had suffered from mental illness most of my life, but I didn't understand it. Um, panic disorder and anxiety disorder, which really led to depression and some other things. But I went off work on uh, January of 18, and I was off for almost two years, and during that period of time, I was home alone initially, and I needed something to occupy my time with this. I had a spiraling mind, and struggling mentally as I was, I started to write the book, and I threw myself into it as really a full-time job. So I would write from, i drive my wife to work, and I would write from 9 to 5, pick her up after work, and then we'd be together in the evening. But it was a, it was a cathartic uh healing process that's how it started wow okay that's I, I i know that the book does touch up on a lot of that stuff and so it's it's definitely you know every hockey player has a different story i think that's what i i, I find so intriguing and i mean it's, it's good to hear that you're obviously on a on a better path right now but you know growing up in the game what made you fall in love with hockey what what made you really get into it 
Well, not unlike many kids in Canada, a lot of us have a very similar story in those early years, and I certainly capture that at the beginning of the book. In my first chapter in Shattered Ice is called Queens Mount Arena, and that's the community rink I grew up playing in. I talk about playing at the outdoor rink at the local school, like as many of us did. I talk about playing road hockey, foot hockey, everything was hockey, and with the winters being as they were, that was the gathering place, outdoor rinks, playing road hockey, playing pond hockey with your friends, and then of course at your neighborhood community arena where, you know, that was your world. It was, looking back, it was a small world, even though as a youth, it seems really large, but that's how it started, just the passion for the game, and I think a lot of people chuckle because my first favorite team was the Buffalo Sabres, so most people in the back then were either Toronto Maple Leaf or Montreal Canadiens fans. Uh, with uh, where we live here, I grew up in Kitchener, Ontario, so we were heavily influenced by the uh, Buffalo, New York area when it came to television. The Sabres games were on TV here, as were the Maple Leafs, and I loved the French Connection. I used to watch them every Tuesday night. Their home games were on TV. Gilbert Perrault and Rennie Robert and Rick Martin, and then my favorite player was Danny Guerra back in the, the mid-70s. Yeah, you did mention the French connection in there. That's definitely something that, that influenced. Now, you know, being a, a winger forward like yourself, like a, as a kid, like were those players you were trying to emulate your game after? Like, you know, obviously it's a little bit different when, you know, you're jumping up and down from the minors to the pro, like you're playing different roles and stuff. But growing up, you know, playing juniors, obviously you're a top player at that level. Like, did you did you kind of emulate your game off of them? Whereas, like, most kids probably would have leaned towards, you know, the, the superstars in the league of the 70s where, you know, the French connection maybe aren't as well known to, to your average hockey fan. That's a good question. I, I remember not necessarily, like, I looked up to those players, but I didn't necessarily want to be be uh, you know be a centerman or a, a defenseman I just wanted to play the game like they did and I remember you know you mentioned that it made me think of my minor hockey days for several years I flip-flopped between defense and forward I played left defense and left wing and it seemed to alternate yearly based on where the coaches slotted me in their lineup and then um, it wasn't a problem I just wanted to play I didn't it didn't matter to me what position it was I just loved the game and not unlike many kids you know, you love watching it on TV, and sure, you want to be like those guys. That's the dream, but you just love that's you develop that passion for the sport, and you just want to play it all the time. Totally fair. How uh, how long in total did it take you to to write the book? Then I mean, I know you said it was pretty much like a full time job for you, so I feel like it might have gone a little bit quicker in that sense. But how long did it take you to you know finish Shattered Ice top to bottom, like say day one till the first book gets printed? It took 18 months, so I started in like the January of 18. I had it published in July of 19, which was coming up on a year shortly. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting story. Is near the end of it, when it was getting ready for to publish and print, I was quite excited. And I looked at a lot of other hockey books, and I realized that a lot of guys had forwards in their books. And I thought, I need a forward, because I just thought that would be kind of the icing on the cake. And it was an easy thought or decision for me. I thought of the guy who was my favorite coach in my career, and that was Doug McClain. Many coaches, or all coaches, leave an impression on you, and so they contribute to your development. But Doug McClain was the, my favorite coach that I ever played for. That was with the Baltimore Skipjack. So I reached out to him, and I let him know some of the struggles I was going through at the time. And he was surprised because with, often with mental health, people are uh, ashamed or unwilling to share. And that, that's getting better in society as we talk about it more. But um, Doug invited me to Toronto for lunch. It's funny. He, he uh, walked right from the studios at Hockey Central and met me for lunch downtown Toronto. We uh, chatted for a couple hours and talked about the old times. And I had asked him if he'd write the forward, and he uh, agreed. And, Wow, it was a great meeting, great reunion, and that was the first time in a long time I really reconnected with the hockey world. That's unreal. Steve Saffel, our guest, author of Shattered Ice. Got to go check that book out. It's available pretty much everywhere. I see it online all the time. 
Steve, you, you kind of at uh, you know the start of the book, and you know, kind of in those first few chapters, you get into a lot of you know your your brighter moments of the game, and kind of your you know your, the highs of your career, being a you know a solid minor hockey junior player and stuff like that. When did you know that you wanted to to really make hockey your career, that you had a chance to to uh, you know make hockey your profession? totally remember that moment and uh, yeah, I can share that with you that was I played midget hockey it was a, the UHL draft back in the 80s was a midget draft so it's and um, so I played major midget as an underage with a bunch of other guys uh, in Kitchener and at the end of that season four of the players from our team the Kitchener green shirts were selected in the UHL draft none of the underage players including myself were picked even though we were technically eligible, and uh, it was, but it was that moment, and then those actually two of those four players went on to play in the Ontario Hockey League. And when I saw that, and I'll never forget. As a matter of fact, the first game of the OHL season the following year, it was the kit we went uh, Kitchener Rangers versus North Bay Centennials, and, and the two players from my, my midget team that were drafted, Peter Lisi and John Keller, were playing against each other in that game at the Kitchener Odd. And I remember watching that game with some of my teammates and seeing them out on the ice. That's the first time I really thought I could, I can do this, and I want. I was really determined to make it happen. That's fair. There, that's always it's always interesting to see some people kind of go through it. And I mean, you know, they're top end junior and college guys, and they're kind of like, you know, I I really didn't know I'd have a chance to, you know, be in the NHL or make an impact in general, but. Yet again, you, you worked your way up, and I mean, you did spend some time in Baltimore, as you said, but what, what was kind of your first welcome to the NHL moment? Like, what what kind of hit you when you're there and you're like, holy shit, I'm actually in the NHL right now? I tell a story in my book about that moment. <laughs> first time I got called up in the regular season, and I arrived for practice uh, with the Caps, and we practiced in Virginia. And we lined up. Terry Murray was the head coach. And we were playing the next day in Detroit. So it was a day before a game practice. And we were going to grab a plane to Detroit. And we lined up in a two-on-one drill. And I tell this story in the book. I lined up in, on my side of the ice. Uh, so I'm on the left side. On the right side was Dino Cicerelli. And Coach Murray blew the whistle. And Dino took off like he was shot out of a cannon. And I'm pumping my legs as fast as I can to try to keep up to him. And we finished the two-on-one, and I remember just at that moment saying to myself, wow, like, these guys practice hard. I, but that was a that was a real eye-opener. Like, there's no, they don't, they didn't practice long, but they went as hard as they could while they were on the ice, and they just raised the level of intensity. And you often hear that term or phrase, play the, practice the way you play, and it was certainly, Dino gave me a, that lesson in my first practice when I got called up. Obviously, you got to play in a great era of hockey. I mean, there was some unbelievable talents back then. Who would you say was the most, you know, impressive player to you? Doesn't exactly have to be, you know, the most skilled or the toughest or the fastest, but who was the most impressive to you that, you know, was a player that you would just catch yourself watching and be like, holy, I got to play against this guy or play with him? Well... (laughs) In all fairness, you know, I grew up, in fairness to Wayne Gretzky, I grew up, he was my idol growing up. Uh, I talk in the book too about okay. going to see him play at Maple Leaf Gardens. I always followed his career, and he was my favorite player from a young age. But the player that always mesmerized me was Mario Lemieux. And I guess partly because uh, at that time, when I was playing, Wayne had been traded to L.A., so he was on the West Coast. But Mario was in the Capitals division with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And any time either of those two guys came to D.C., I would, being in Baltimore, it was easy drive down to Washington. And uh, we were always welcome at the Capitol Center to watch home games if we could. And whenever Gretzky and Lemieux came to town, I'd go watch. But I saw Mario play a lot, as I said, because he was in the, the old Patrick division with the Capitals. And he just took over games. Like, at times it looked like nobody could take the puck away from him and that he just could do whatever he wanted, whether it was passing, shooting, finding the open guy. And yeah, it was mesmerizing at times what he could do with his stick and his 
reach. He just he was a, a real fun player to watch. And I always admired Mario. He, I watched him play in the 1984 Memorial Cup with Laval because it was in Kitchener back uh, in 84. And that was the year he got drafted to the National League. Yeah, I always admired Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky, of course. Incredible. I've always said this about Mario. Is that like, I, I know that him and Yager were, you know, the 1A, 1B there. But if Mario had, um, you know, the, the same health and didn't go through some of those issues that he did as Yager, he would be arguably the greatest player of all time. And, you know, put up there or above Wayne Gretzky. Because I think that he was that dominant. Obviously, I mean... Hey, sometimes, you know, those health issues, they do kick in, stuff like that. But, you know, if he were to play the same time frame as a guy like Yager, like one of his peers, I would say, he would, yeah, without a doubt, be side-by-side with Gretzky. Another story, uh, Mario was a few, obviously older, and I remember another game I went to see at the Capitol Center was, in fact, uh, Yager's rookie season. It was his first visit to the Capitol Center. It might have been the first game of the regular season, his rookie year, and I remember my roommate Steve Malte and I went down to watch because we wanted to see this kid. Everybody was talking about this Yarmir Yager, and uh, he was 18 and he was kind of scrawny back then. Not the, he, he's a much bigger man now, but you could see he had to get stronger and learn the North American game. But you could see that the the skill was obviously there. It was just going to be only a matter of time before he'd be dominating. But Mario was still the leader of that team. No kidding. What was it like playing hockey in Baltimore then? Obviously, like, you know, they had the skipjacks for a while. And I, I've had a few younger hockey players on that. Are, like, you know, they, they grew up playing hockey in Baltimore and around that surrounding area where it's really not the traditional sport. So what was it like for you playing there? I enjoyed the city. It's a great, I love, it's a really nice area. You know, that Baltimore, Washington area. It's certainly not a hockey town. There's a diehard group of fans that followed the Skipjacks. And, but they love the Orioles because of Baltimore. It's a baseball town. And back then, the football, the Colts had left. And the, the Ravens weren't there yet. So it was an Orioles town. But there was a group of fans that were very loyal to hockey. And I will say, when, when the Hershey Bears arrived, and that was our arch rival, they were about an hour, hour and a half away. And at that time, they were the Flyers minor league, American League affiliate. So you kind of had the, the Capitals, Flyers, again, Patrick division rivals really disliked each other. So then Hershey, Baltimore, that was just a natural rivalry. And the rink would, we could have up to 10,000 people there when Hershey came to town. But the average crowd was probably in that 2,500, 3,000 range. Wow. No, it seems like an interesting place for sure. Definitely, uh, you know, kind of a unconventional hockey bed. Steve, hey, I really appreciate you doing this. Last one for you, though. Where can people find your book? You know, where's the where's the best place, you know, for for them to find it if they want to read Shattered Ice? Well, unfortunately, with the COVID-19 and the shutdown of all the, uh, most of the bookstores still, uh, the best place to get it at this point is on Amazon. I'll tell you, share with you as well. Uh, I have a paperback on Amazon as well as Kindle version. But I also last fall recorded, personally recorded the Audible version, which was a a terrific experience just to be able to tell my story. That's cool. Type of platform. So it is available as well on Audible if uh, anybody has a, a membership or would like to look into that version. So yeah, you can get a paperback, Kindle, and Audible. Uh, audio versions through Amazon and if the bookstores reopen um, hopefully that's not too far off it's available in stores but uh, only in Ontario right now that's so cool actually it's I you know I used to listen to audiobooks a lot and so I've never actually really heard of an athlete do that for that so that's really cool guys everyone go check out Shattered Ice it's great Steve Seftel our guest thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning and hey I'm sure you've got a ton more Baltimore stories and Washington stories that we can get so maybe we'll have to bring you on later in the summer as well oh perfect thanks for having me I enjoyed it Steve Seftel our guest there, former Washington Capitol. we got to go to commercial break. When we come back, it's Ian Morant. Going to go join the show here. We'll talk to your report live on 12 Ounce Sports. 
It's World Hockey Report live coming to you on 12 Ounce Sports. Cody Jansen with you here. It's our big guest of the day by Wits Nutrition and Performance. Go check them out whenever you want. Personal workout plan, nutrition plan. WNP is the place to be. Go check them out. Now joined by Ian Moran, full running channel defenseman. Ian, how's it going this morning? Great. How you doing? Not bad, not bad. Can't complain for, you know, quarantine day, I don't know, we're, we're a couple of months <laughs> in now. So I think yeah. it's, I was trying to do math in my head earlier, and I think it's been like two months without the NHL. So haven't gone yeah, crazy yet. I can't complain. Time. Yeah, no, it's been a long, uh, long time. You, find, uh, you gotta find other interests, otherwise you, you got nothing going on. So, but I definitely miss hockey. What are you keeping busy with then nowadays? Uh, so what I do with uh, the company that's got service up with is Neutral Zone. I run the NHL uh, side of it all. So my job all year was to watch the, primarily watch and focus on the kids who'd be eligible for the 2020 draft. So 2,000 years later, once maybe uh, you know the kid who's a 2,000 or a 2,001 who slipped through a couple of drafts. Um, so I, you know, was really focused on those guys. So what I've done is. We go back and I or we go back. I go back and watch different players playing in beginning of the season, October, November, December. Watch a couple games. Look at them. They progress, regress. Uh, they're still making the same mistakes. If they've improved, if they've you know got more poise of the puck, all those kinds of things. So I, I still end up watching a ton of hockey. Uh, it's just on tape rather than be alive. But it's all all leading up to the NHL draft, which is apparently about a month away. Who knows when it's going to be? I mean, there's been a million dates thrown around. And I mean, for, yeah. for me personally, I don't have a problem with it being before the NHL returns. But there's a lot of people who are very much against it, it coming back too soon or whatever. I really don't see a point. I mean, hey, these players aren't actually going to be eligible to play this season, which I think all of them will understand. But. Who knows? Yeah. The NHL, the, the NHL just needs something. Like you know, the the NFL was drawing in 16 million viewers. Like people are totally wanting to consume North American sports. You got to find a way to give it to yeah. them, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm watching dog shows at night, so you can <laughs> imagine I'm willing to watch anything. So I just, but I don't really. I mean, from what I've been told is that the GMs and the organizations are being given four weeks to prep for the draft. I'm sure they're pretty much know what they what they've got going on right now as it is so i mean they realistically no like you said nobody draft is going to be ready to play right now anyway so i don't know what the uh what their gripe would be it's just trying to get the nhl and and uh market it right get the name out there moving again for sure and i think that if you you wait too long i feel like the very first sport to come back is going to be an absolute hit so whether that's baseball or whatever, something is going to take a huge... be Tyson's comeback. Oh my Tyson. goodness. That's that's crazy. He's like, I, I mean, how how does a 53-year-old throw punches like that? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to me. I thought it was sped up for the longest time until I was seeing more videos and I was like, you're kidding me. This guy. Yeah, yeah that'll be wild to see a fight though. I mean, I would definitely... I don't buy pay-per-views, but I would buy that for sure. Oh, definitely something to consider. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I... Unbelievable. <laughs> Ian, let's get into your career a little bit because, hey, you spent, uh, I think, almost 500 games in the show, and most of it was with Pittsburgh. So making that transition from college to the NHL, when was your moment that you were kind of like, wow, okay, we're actually doing this. Like, I can actually play in the National Hockey League. So I, had, I spent about a year and a half in the minors playing in the IHL. Uh, we had had a few guys that had gone up and down and had done training camps. So uh, in my heart, I always believed I was going to be able to do it and I was going to be able to play and, and prepared that way. Um, my first game actually was called, was in the playoffs. We played, got called up. The year before, I had been a black ace and I had never played. And then this year, I got called up and uh, I ended up playing my first game against Washington. Um, you know, Pretty much from that point on, I knew that I could play. I just knew I'd have to... Uh, changed my role, how I played, or how I how I processed stuff because I'd always been a really offensive defenseman growing up, and you know that offensive talent that was in Pittsburgh, they had a bunch of Hall of Famers, and it was you know pretty pretty obvious that uh, if I wanted to stick around in Pittsburgh, I'd have to change and develop into a uh, you know pass first defensive minded guy, and 
That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Um, so at the college level, even the IHL, man, I mean, like you, you put up really good numbers for a defenseman. Then then coming into the NHL, like how how tough was it to really transition your game into, you know, a guy who took care of his D zone first, essentially? Like, you know, you you knew that you likely weren't going to be playing PP1 on that team. Like, was it was it tough or was it something where, you know, in your head you were mentally prepared to play that style? I think it's probably different with everybody, every player. Most of the guys that are playing in the NHL, they were the offensive guy wherever they were prior to getting to the NHL. I mean, the, the guys that are the power play guys or the offensive guys in the NHL, I mean, they're really dynamic, uh, creative guys. They're at a different level than, than everybody else. But just for the average average guy playing in the NHL is going to be the most, is going to be the, the best or the most skilled guy of anybody you're, you're playing with. Um, usually what happens is a guy gets drafted and he kind of realizes in the middle of year one, two, you know, what, it, what for him to stick around, for him to play, what he has to do, um, and what, what his game is going to make up and what to be able to play in the NHL. Um, you know, that's for me, when that's when I'm scouting, that I, I watch a kid's brain to see how they process things. To me, the head is the most important thing. But I think for every player, it's different. But if you went up and down any, any NHL roster, every, everybody there was at, was at one point, and at one point very recently, to their NHL career was the was the you know the best or the go-to player on, on that team. So um, I don't think it was a unique situation for me. I think there was a bunch of guys in Pittsburgh and a bunch of guys all over the league that uh, that had to adapt and change their game. You know to be a, to be a player, to be a role guy, to be a penalty killer. You know, I know when I was drafted, they was they said I'd never ever be a penalty killer. It was, you know that was the knock on me that I was just offensive mind and that I wouldn't would never be a killer. You know, it ended up evolving that I ended up, you know, being a primary penalty killer for a long time. Um, you know, so it's just a mindset. You've got to make a commitment to it and commitment to play and and be willing to put in the hard work and, the, you know, just basically change your mindset from being go, go, go to, to let the offensive guys go, go, go. And you just take care of what you have to take care of. That's very true. I mean, it is definitely a role change for almost anyone kind of coming into the NHL. Yeah. Um, when, when you were with Pittsburgh, though, like, you know, who was arguably the, the toughest player to defend then? Like, obviously, you know, you played a good stretch and you saw, you know, the game change a little bit coming from the 90s into the early 2000s and stuff. But, like, who was a player that, like, if you had to be one-on-one with, you were like, shit, this this is not going to turn out well? Um, you know, that's, that's tough because every every team usually has a guy that's pretty dynamic and pretty creative. Uh one-on-one wise being honest I was never worried about getting beat one-on-one I thought I you know I thought I could move well enough was strong enough and smart enough that I could put guys in a position where I would I would have the advantage angle wise and taking away time and space uh, I think the guys that are most dangerous are the, are the guys that you know they they create quick one on quick two on ones or quick you know they can do the space to to understand you know if you're leaning to make a pass in a given go or then you're caught in no man's land. But as far as names, I mean, played against Gretzky, and Gretzky was, you know, what, 5'10", 5'11", you know, 165, 170 pounds. He's one way, and then you play against Lindros, who was, you know, what is he, 6'3", 6'4", 235. You know, so it's just, it was different that you had to, you had to prepare for each team and each each line a little bit differently. And, you know, and I was, with, with the Penguins, we ended up, you know, my matchup most of the time was against Lindros' line, so you'd have, you'd have those guys that were just like leads in a boom that would or doing whatever they were that would just Lindros, Lindros LeClaire and Michael Renberg were just big strong guys that wore you down you know or you'd go against uh, you know like small quick guys like I said Gretzky who's just smart you know thought everybody um, but really and truly every 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 team was different like Alexander McGillney was you know incredibly dynamic and, and dangerous one on one you know for a, it was you know straight speed you'd have you know, Yager, one-on-one in Yager was ridiculous. Probably the, probably the scariest guy one-on-one period was Alexi Kovalev. He was the most skilled guy I played with by far um, with and against. But it's really and truly, it was each team you had to repair a little bit differently for who you were going against. So That's funny. No, there's a ton. And I was actually going to ask you about Lindros because you were a part of the Pens when they had some of those epic series against the Flyers, correct? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. What was like, who, who hit you the hardest then? What was the hardest? Like being a D man, you know, the, the worst part of the worst thing that you can think of is, you know, a guy coming in on a four check and just absolutely crushing you in the corner. Like who hit you the hardest where you were like, oh, let's not do that again. Um, to tell you the truth, I think it's more chaotic and there's bigger hits in college hockey than there was in the NHL. Really? Um, yeah, the hardest I ever got hit was at the end of my career. I got uh, I got sent to Lowell by New Jersey on a conditioning stint, and we were playing Manchester. You know, and they, they tell you when you're you, know, you figure out. They tell you when you're on the bench. You you watch you watch what the other team's forechecks are off a faceoff, so you have a general idea where guys are going to be. You know, you don't know exactly where they're going to end up because they can freewheel a little bit. But you know, they you kind of watch faceoffs and see how they forecheck how how to win and a loss what they do. It was a D zone faceoff, and uh, I can't remember who it was who hit me, but we won the faceoff and went D to D behind the net. And how the whole team been forechecking, I should have had you know a second easily to make a play. And basically, the puck came to me from my partner, and I got absolutely smoked. I had snot all over my face, and just you know, one of the snot rackers, and he just killed me. I can't remember who it was. I think it was a kid. My last name was Flynn, but I really don't know. And I remember I, I came to the bench, and uh, Kevin D was our was our, our assistant coach with the Bruins now. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Now you did have a little bit of offense in the NHL. What was your What was your first goal? Walk me through it. First goal was against Marty Rodeur. Not a big deal. Uh, we were forechecking. It was in New Jersey. Uh, puck came wrapped around the boards, and I basically just moved out and took a, took a bounce, and I just one timed it to uh, the far side. I got smoked after I scored that one too, but it was it wasn't a hard hit. It was just positionally I went down, but I don't went uh, far side on Marty. Okay, no, okay, no, no, no big celly then though, because you got rocked after, eh? Yeah, no, there was no nothing. Just went in and it was, uh, <laughs> it was what it was. Just went far side. So that was about it. though. Okay, now you also made stops in Boston and Anaheim. Where was like you know yeah. where, where was the most intimidating place? Now you played West Coast, East Coast. Where was like the toughest barn to play in in the NHL? Like where were the fans like you know or craziest fans, road fans? Not Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I know you'd say Pittsburgh most likely is your favorite place, but like where was a rink where you you knew that if you're going into it was going to be tough? Philly always had always has great fans. You know, you know it. I mean, I always. I always loved it going in and when, when the fans were in there and they were screaming and yelling and they knew stuff about you. I always thought it was fun. Um, Philly, Philly had great fans, whether it was in Boston or with Pittsburgh. It was always great to go to Montreal. You know, Montreal on a on a Saturday night, it was, it was an event. It wasn't a game. It was an event. People got there early. It was jammed. You know, there's electricity out in the street, but everybody wanted to go. Um, you know, Montreal was great. Toronto was great. You know, it was really if you were if you were in a Canadian city, you got a hockey night in Canada. Uh, game was always a great game because you knew it was just going to be electric and the crowd was into it. But you know, realistically, it was fun. Whenever the whenever the fans were all over you and they knew what was going on, it always always made it a ton of fun. And you know, Pittsburgh Boston had big rivalries, and or Pittsburgh and Philly, and then Boston and Montreal had had good rivalries. We had some battles with Toronto. With Toronto. Uh, you know, they had they had some good tough teams. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was just fun when the crowd was into it and they were loud. But, you know, Philly was great. There would always be fights in the crowd. It was, it was always pretty fun. And, you know, like I said, Toronto or Montreal was really, uh, you know, it was like an event going to games there. It was, it was really great music and warm-ups and great crowd. They were into it. Uh, a little bit different than Philly's crowd. They might be a little bit more respectful. <laughs> a little but it was, bit. Uh, <laughs> but it was, always, it was always a ton of fun. Do you remember your first fight? Who was it against and how'd it go? First fight in the NHL was Darby Hendrickson in Toronto. It was a good fight. It was a really good one. It was uh, Don Cherry's one of his, you know, fight of the week, fight of the month. It was really, it was a good fight. Did you get on Rock'em uh, Sock'em at least? What's that? Did you get on Rock'em Sock'em at least? 
Yeah, it was, I don't know if it was a good one. I mean, we, we, we threw punches into each other's face for about 30, 35 seconds. So it was, it was a good one. It wasn't a whole lot of defense. Um, I ended up, you know, I, ended up, I fought a lot in the minors in the IHL you had to fight. It was no, you didn't have a choice. It was just the way it was. Uh, I don't, I couldn't tell you who my first fight in the minors was, but I know I don't, the one year I had like 90 or 90, 96 penalty minutes, and I think I had 15 majors. So it was, it was just a different time. Like you fought, and it was just the way it was. It wasn't, but I really, I don't remember who first fight in the minors was, but it was, uh, you know, I broke my nose a couple of times and all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> no way. Ian, hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm sure you've got a, a ton more stories and stuff we can dig deeper into. So might have to get you on a, another time, get some of those IHL stories, because from what I, I everyone that's I t- talked about the league, has just had, you know, crazy stories. Like, that was that was the AHL on steroids at some point. The Iowa, the Iowa was something else. It was uh, every, every every whistle, there was a scrum or a fight, or there was something. And if there was a major, you know, one real fight going on, the guys got major penalties, there were at least two others where there were guys dancing around, no gloves on, and giving pot shots to each other. But it was, uh, it was fun. It was a fun league to play in. I had a blast playing anywhere. It was always fun, but it was, it was, it was, it was fun best sport in the world well hey ian i really appreciate you doing this thanks again yeah thank you very much for having me anytime ian moran former pittsburgh penguin defenseman also spent time boston anaheim great conversation there well gotta thank our guests today good show shattered ice again i got the book right here we're crushing it. We're gonna get through it. There's also the audiobook. I, you know, huge audiobook guy. If I'm ever making a road trip, you know, I, I get into podcasts now, but audiobooks are great. Go check it out. Shattered Ice, Steve Seftel, former Washington Capital, Baltimore Skipjack, author of that one. Definitely go check him out. Support him. Hey, he's supporting World Hockey Report. He's taking the time to come on. You gotta thank him for that. Ian Moran as well. I am Hockey Skills. Also, neutral zone. You got to go check that out too. Ian Moran, thank you very much to our guests. Of course, our sponsors, mybookie.ag. Use promo code 120Z Sports. Support the crew with nutrition and performance as well. Great swag there. You can go get your fresh look for the summer. 12 ounce sports. The mall's on the website, 120ZSportsRadio.com. Find yourself cool new shirts, whatever you're looking for. Beach towels, they've got it all. That's going to do it. For this one, World Hockey Report Live, wrapping it up for another week. Taking a look at next week very quickly before Pete's Power Plays comes up. Get Scott Powers from the Athletic Chicago, Jillian Kemmerer covering the KHL. I'm sure we're going to get some good stories in there. That's going to do it. Cody Jans and World Hockey Report signing out. Have a good Wednesday. 